Hello and welcome to our Africa Travel Week Connect Unlock Africa podcast, where we bring the news, views, tips and tricks from tourism experts and personalities, sometimes simply sharing a window on their world and Africa's tourism sector. It's August, and that means the spotlight has to be on the powerhouse women in tourism on our continent. We're thrilled that you're joining us for this weekly series, where each week we have a catch-up with a dynamic woman who is making her presence felt on the African continent and within our tourism sector. And joining me today, I have Pagat Lazo, travel entrepreneur, innovator, and founder at Zulu Nomad. She's someone I personally admire greatly, particularly for the work that she's doing in the accessibility, inclusivity, and diversity space to bring the opportunities of tourism to a broader community, and particularly during a time when our industry has been so affected. It's been a real pleasure getting to know her, and I know you'll be captivated by her story too. You are a dynamic woman in the Africa tourism industry, and we know all about the good work that you do within the tourism industry, but we'd love to know a little bit more about you as a person. What what are the things that you love? What are the things that you loathe? Tell us about you. Uh, sure. Um, I, I love, I absolutely love immersive experiential travel, and it's really brought out of my my history and my experience as a backpacker. I started backpacking um, in my late teens, early twenties, I guess, and just that way of traveling, that immersive way where you know you're curious about a destination and you're gonna go out and meet people and and listen to music and eat good food and and really immerse yourself in a place. Um, I really, really enjoy that. And I'm very grateful to have married someone who feels just the same and who's um, that way inclined. So we do a lot of road trips. We listen to music. We have great conversations, whether it's just us two or with friends coming along. Um, Yeah, that's something that really, really um, gets us going. And then in terms of loads, um, I hate feeling helpless, hey, and and I hate like frivolous stuff. And I think that the frivolous stuff one is just because, you know, we live in a country with with so much going on, so much opportunity, but also just so much missed opportunity. Um, And so I get myself, I I get frustrated in terms of the frivolous stuff that sometimes (laughs) is happening around us. Mm, And I think that that's the thing is that there is just so much noise, especially in, in a time like we're experiencing at the moment, that it's difficult for you to be focused um, and to, to mm. do something that's going to land and, and not get distracted by um, all the noise. But mm. you know, you, you don't you don't wake up one morning and say, "I'm a backpacker." Off I go and travel <laughs> all over the place. There must have been something in your upbringing, a spark, if you will, that said, "Right, I you know I have an adventurous heart." Off I go. What was that? that flame that kind of got you into that in the first place? Um, I guess initially, initially, the very first sort of taste of travel that I had was going to the UK to visit my mom um, 
um, in my first year of university, my mom had been in the UK since I was in grade 10, working as a nurse over there uh, because they just made a lot more money over there. And obviously she needed to pay school fees and things. So that's how my mom ended up in the UK. And um, when I finished matric, I got this scholarship um, from university, but I'd already had another scholarship from a private company. And so I was allowed to use that money to travel, to buy a plane ticket and actually go visit my mom in the UK. So that was the first sort of taste of visiting a foreign country that I got. And then um, after that, when I finished my undergraduate studies, I was awarded a, a scholarship by the Rotary Foundation. I was an ambassadorial scholar to the UK, which meant that officially I was there uh, really as a representative of South Africa to go around to all of the different Rotary clubs around the UK speaking about South Africa and what a wonderful country we have. And obviously at the same time, um, I was enrolled in university. I was completing my master's degree then in international business and finance. And I was just part of this international community of, of young people from all over the world um, who was there to study as well, complete their MBAs, complete postgraduate studies at business school. And it was really the first time that I was properly immersed into just this global village that we live in. And, and that was the beginnings of, of my life in travel, in tourism, really as, as a traveler myself, as a young person going out there and experiencing the world and seeing what all of these different countries had to offer. Um, post that, I then came back home. I stayed in Joburg for about three years, but the travel bug had bit. And so I'm just off the, the World Cup, off of that amazing high from the World Cup. I packed up my bags again, and this time I, I headed for Shanghai. Again, thankfully, um, through a Chinese government scholarship this time around. And I spent about a year studying Chinese language and culture and economy. And then at the end of that first year, I was like, okay, I want to stay here. So <laughs> I went about getting myself a job, thankfully, because I'd already had a bit of, of work experience and finance. I managed to land myself a really good job in Shanghai and I ended up staying for another two years there. And so again, you know, through then living in Shanghai, I got to travel quite extensively in Asia and just being able to experience other countries in that way outside of popping in and staying at a fancy hotel and popping out again, but really getting immersed in the country. I got to um, appreciate the tourism product at a very real um, level, I think, outside of just accommodation and, and um, how to get there, you know, transport. Wow. I mean, you have the most interesting <laughs> it's really I didn't know that about you and having known you for a little while yeah. <laughs> such a lovely thing to find out and you know having had that experience of uh, different elements of the tourism industry that go beyond the normal accommodation airline mm. uh, is, uh, how did you come to then work in the tourism industry what is that journey that brought you into the tourism fold 
So you know what, Natalia, I then ended up living in, in Shanghai up until 2014, late 2014. I came back home and I was so determined as, okay, I'm going to move back to Durban. I don't want to live in Durban anymore. I want to be on the coast. And um, I did. I did exactly that. However, I continued traveling and I'd had a little Instagram page that I'd started while in Shanghai, like my first or second year there, um, that I'd named the Zulu Nomad when I realized oh I actually like this international life I'm probably going to be here for three years and then I'm going to go to South America for another three years and North or West Africa for three years I was like oh I'm going to be the Zulu nomad and that's how the name came about however when I came back home in 2014 I kept the name I kept the page and I kept traveling but um, I guess a lot more people started seeing more of my content that I was sharing. And so I started getting a lot more questions when I was actually back home versus when I was out there doing the traveling in Asia, et cetera. And I remember I, I did um, this awesome backpacking trip, Euro trip um, for my 30th birthday. Where I went from Poland to Spain to, I don't even remember where else I went that trip, but it was just lots of fun um, getting to connect with friends from business school again, et cetera, et cetera. And so many people on my Instagram were just like, oh, how do you get to travel so much? How do you decide where to go? How do you afford it? Um, et cetera, et cetera. And and I immediately realized that a lot of people were associating my travel with all of these foreign countries or all of these um, larger than life, big cities. You know, everyone wants to go to Barcelona. Everyone wants to be now in Ibiza on the beach. But I knew that what they were being attracted to is the experience that I was having. And I knew that you don't have to be in Europe or in Asia to have that experience. And so I sort of said to myself, well, let's just start introducing people to experiences that they can start having around South Africa um, in our neighboring countries without having to go very far. Let's just start off by going off to the free state and staying in the mountains for a couple of days and, and having that experience. And so... By 2016, early 2016, we registered the company Zulu Nomad, and that's what we started doing. We started taking young people who were interested in exploring the country, interested in exploring our neighboring countries, but really had no clue about how to go about doing this. Um, and we package it all together. All you have to do is show up with your bags <laughs> where we tell you to, and everything else is taken care of. Sure. And now, um, so, so yeah, that was really the beginning. You're and and now you've just launched a really exciting initiative that also very much brings or brings experience to life for people. Can you tell us a little bit about that initiative? Oh, absolutely. So, so again, you know, as we we started traveling, we started off with Mozambique because it's just beautiful. It's an easy sell, and it was so so popular with young people and young professionals specifically um, that were traveling with us out of. Joburg. It's a long drive. It's not a very nice trip. It's a very long drive. However, people came back with such 
um, really good feedback with having had such transformative experiences that we knew that this is something that people actually want and we decided to extend it to other countries as well. And so by 2018, early 2019, we had traveled over 35,000 kilometers by road from Joburg um, with different groups of people through Mozambique, Botswana, Swaziland, Lesotho, um, Namibia, um, all the way up to Malawi, right? And in every one of these countries, we had amazing experiences. In every one of these countries, we were home. We had exceptional hosts. We learned so much. We ate great food. We met great people. Not once did we feel unsafe or not once did we not have a place to go or stay, whatever the case may be. And so really, I... I got to know and realize that the, the problem with African tourism product and the problem with the perception of travel on the continent isn't that there isn't anything else to do other than safaris. It's that people just don't know that there's so much else to do, number one. Mm -hmm. And then number two, for the business owners on the ground, they have no idea where the tourists come from. They have no idea mm -hmm. how I would go about finding this guy in Berlin who would be perfect for my experience, but I just have no way of connecting with, right? And so the idea of the marketplace was really born out of that to say, how do we connect these small business owners and these communities who have been blessed with the most beautiful natural assets, right? That they're just figuring out how to leverage for tourism. How do we how do we connect these guys with the travelers within South Africa, outside of South Africa, who are looking for this product? Um, and really that that's the idea of the marketplace. It's such a wonderful initiative and, uh, and, and it's all about the connection. I love, I love that um, connection. Mm. And I really see that as one of your superpowers, if I may say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you see that as your role in the tourism industry or do you see your role differently in the tourism industry? And how do you think that that role is going to evolve in the next couple of years? That's so interesting, um, Natalia, that you say that. I'm actually writing that down, a connector, because that's exactly what it is, right? And and a connector in many ways, a connector in, in the most basic sense, in the sense that I am a Zulu girl who's grown up on a sugarcane farm and had the opportunity to then live and travel internationally and and have a good education and be able to speak a certain way, understand, understand business concepts, et cetera, and be able to articulate them. And then um, be able to come back into South Africa and contribute in the sector the way that I, I'm able to now. Um, definitely, that is a very, very unique kind of, of life journey that allows me to be able to connect various um, stakeholders in the tourism industry from communities to small business owners to corporates, to investors, to the government. Um, there's a lot of misalignment that happens and there's a lot of misunderstanding that happens. And, and I don't get, I don't know if I'll get to speak about it today in the podcast, but you know, that's definitely one of the things that we've realized um, as, since I've joined um, SATSA as the co-chair of SATSA's Access, Inclusivity and Diversity Committee, that it wasn't that 
there was not access, diversity and inclusivity work happening before. It was probably just that lack of connection between other stakeholders who probably needed to know that this work is happening um, and, and, and the SATSA organization. So absolutely. I'm definitely a connector. I embrace that role. Um, but also, you know, I've been given feedback again from academics um, who work in, in travel and hospitality, just in terms of my role as an innovator, right? So mm -hmm. I was I was so flattered because um, this was Dr. Kimbu, who's based um, at the University of Surrey, which is one of the biggest hospitality schools in the world. And he said to me, you know, Paga, you're one of the few people I know who's actually going out there and implementing these things. Like as academics, we understand the theory, we get the ideas, but it's then very difficult to turn all of these things into implemented yeah. projects that we being on the ground. And so that's, I was like, oh, okay, cool. I am an innovator. <laughs> I'm able to take <laughs> these ideas that we have <laughs> and actually get them implemented um, regardless of the challenges. And the challenges are really many. Um, I also get that a lot, but you know, uh, um, Rob calls it my youthful exuberance. <laughs> I always talk as if there are no challenges, but there are. Um, it's just about being able to somehow get beyond them to get this implemented because we understand the need um, in the market for these solutions. And then just in terms of my role in the future and how I see my role evolving, I guess it's then to pioneer, right? Um, access, inclusivity and diversity in the, the biggest way possible, which would be to actually now increase this tourism pie and make sure that everybody benefits. You know, I've seen such opportunity and, and um again, potential just within the SATSA organization and the knowledge that sits there. Um, I mean, if that knowledge was tapped properly and channeled properly, we really do have an opportunity to completely transform South Africa's travel and, and hospitality sector, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then it's us being able to then from there come up with new companies, come up with new jobs, new tourism products that speak to a digital future, that speak to an experiential travel industry in South Africa, as opposed to the same old product targeting the same old market. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think I live in a place where we <laughs> thankfully have very positive and future oriented and solution oriented individuals. And so I do believe that, you know, this is, this is a space that we'll be able to do a lot of good work in over the next few years. Is that what keeps you up at night? Is that the thing that <laughs> you, in the morning, you think, Oh, I really wish I could get to sleep, but I'm thinking about how I can bring yeah. these people into my community, into my tourism tribe. What keeps you up at night? It's honestly, Natalia, exactly that, right? Because we sit in this reality that in this country, over 70% of young people are unemployed. That is, that is, yeah, that keeps me up at night. You know, incidents like the recent insurrection in KZN and Gauteng that we saw, um, that was just something that we should have all seen coming. And it's something that does keep me up at night and kept me up at night even before that, right? Because when you travel these countries, when you travel our countries by road, you really get to experience the inequality and you see the experience, the inequality firsthand. And it is right in your face, you know, you can't get away from it. And so 
when you see just that gap in opportunity, that gap in access, and um, that a majority of the people in the country are living in, and you're also aware of the opportunity that is here, that exists, that is of such low barrier to entry, it definitely keeps you up at night because it, it, it baffles the mind to think, why isn't anybody doing anything? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, that's what keeps me up at night. But you're, you know, you're a talker. I, I was recently in Sierra Leone and they, they speak Creole and there is a phrase that mm. they absolutely love. It's talk and do. And, you know, you are a talk and do person which is great because mm. a lot of us talk, 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 but we don't talk and do. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have been watching your journey so closely and I am so inspired um, by what people like you and Mandy are doing. Uh, and mm, thank you, Natalia. Yeah. I know that I know that there are people who are as inspired as I am um, to see what you are actually, that you aren't just talking, but you talk and and doing, which is great. Um, but I guess my next question for you is your life's passion. I, I hear that you are such a passionate person and you are pursuing mm. so many really incredible initiatives. What is your life's passion? If we look 10 years to come and look backwards and you said, mm. yes, I've achieved it, what would that be? It would be to make a difference. And and I'll tell you a joke. So in my in my interview, in that interview in Shanghai, that great job that I got, um, I, I got asked that question. I was like, oh no, I'm out here to make a difference. And then I went on about how young girls, young African girls must also know that it's possible. They can go and live and work anywhere in the world if they want to. And the hiring manager sort of laughed. He was like, dude, but how are young African girls? ever gonna know that you were in Shanghai doing anything <laughs> but um and I think in hindsight now you know when I do these podcasts and I'm on these platforms and I'm speaking I'm like actually hey you know I'm sure there's a young girl out there who's like hey if she could do it I could do it you know um and I think that that passion or that wanting that purpose that knowing that I am actually here to make a difference for people people who are on the periphery for people who have been excluded in the past um, has really been something um, that I've, I've grown up with and thankfully um, was nurtured within the Rotary organization. I was a, a young Rotaractor. So we, sorry, you start off an interact at school. So I was an interact at school. And really what it is, is it's service, right? So you're out there and you're working with, with children's homes and old age homes and reading to old people. And that's how my passion sort of manifested itself in my younger school years. And then I went on and I started representing South Africa and speaking about the country in the UK. And then even in Shanghai, by the time I left Shanghai, I was actually the president of the Shanghai Rotaract Club. Oh, wow. um, I've always been involved in service. And so um, I think my place now within SATSA's Access, Inclusivity and Diversity Committee then just becomes the vehicle through which I'm able to, to run and implement and focus a lot of the resources that I have at my disposal and the organization's disposal really in terms of channeling that to us all making a difference and using um, 
everything that we have resource-wise to be able to actually drive um, access, inclusivity and diversity and make a difference in this country because we absolutely can. Mm. Service above self, absolutely. Absolutely, service above self, always. Tell us something about you that people who know you wouldn't necessarily know about you, a little secret something about you. Hmm. But I don't think a lot of people actually realize that I do speak Mandarin and um, petit peu français. So I speak a little bit of Mandarin, I speak a little bit of French. Um, And yeah, I'm a lover of languages. I don't get to speak enough of those languages with people in South Africa. So normally um, I'll just, you know, start speaking if, you know, I bump into a French family or if I bump into a Chinese family and there's an opportunity to chat. Um, And then people are like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you actually speak that. Like, yes, I do. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) I did not know that about you, but uh, I don't speak Mandarin, so we'll we'll leave it at that. Um, Who's been influential in your life? Who's lifted you up? My mom, my mom. I think, you know, there's there's so much. I really enjoy spending time with, with older people. There's just so much learning there. And, you know, with, with my mom, she's just constantly been so encouraging. She's always, um, I think, that has this element of fearlessness that that somehow I was able to thankfully get through her via osmosis because um, she's just so supportive. And my decision to go into entrepreneurship definitely impacted my mother um, more than anybody else, like before my husband and my child, because I was an entrepreneur before I got married, um, in the sense that I went from obviously receiving a salary and being employed and having good employment to, oh no, you know, I'm a, I'm a struggling entrepreneur now, things are really shaky um, and have been for a long time. Um, and that's just the journey of the entrepreneur. Um, my decision to leave a cozy job in Joburg and move to Shanghai, um, also, you know, a very difficult one for a parent of my mother's generation in South Africa um, to really understand. And what does this actually mean? Are you going to be able to, to live well? And, and are you going to be okay financially, etc.? cetera? Um, my mother has, has really been a pillar and such a great example really of, of what we can do when you, you push yourself and you ultimately growing and learning as an individual throughout your life. Um, yeah, definitely my mom. I have this sense that you have this, uh, this wanderlust and I identify so closely with that um, being a fellow entrepreneur. And I, and I think, I guess the question that comes to mind as you're talking is, you know, with this wanderlust and wanting the new, wanting the adventure, wanting to make a difference, wanting to not just to talk, but to do in in your environment as an entrepreneur, do you feel pressure within yourself to keep reinventing? Are you someone who is able to deal with routine or is, are you also always going to be chasing after um, making a difference, doing things differently, being innovative, connecting people, being dynamic? What do you see for yourself? 
<laughs> I definitely struggle with routine. I would be lying if I said uh, I see any point where I'm like, okay, no, I'm gonna stick with the routine now. No, um, I mean, even even through this crisis, right? With now having to work from home, we're having conversations like, okay, but does it then make sense for us to still be in Joburg? Could we be working in KZN for three months, and then Limpopo for three months, and then the Northern Cape for three months? You know, that those are just the yeah. type of people we are. And and you're absolutely right, um, Natalia. Just in the sense that when you figure out the one problem and you implement that solution to that problem where we live our context is just that there's so many problems to be solved and so I don't imagine myself kind of um, getting bogged down in routine if anything it would be just moving from problem to problem and solving um, and growing as we go. My last question for you is around some of the lessons that we could learn from Africa's tourism industry. We have this, this uh, we look to other countries for lessons and I believe that we, ha- we have the answers here. What are some of the lessons that we could learn from Africa's tourism industry? Some of the lessons that we could learn from Africa's tourism industry is definitely um, just our servicing the domestic market, right? Um, We have on the continent, according to the UNWTO, outbound travel of Africans between 2005 and 2015 registered the highest Second highest growth rate at 6.2%, um, second after Asia, which grew at 6.6%, right? And worldwide, four out of four, four out of five arrivals originate from within that same region, right? And so it indicates to us that regional markets are very significant in terms of their volume, but also in terms of revenue generation. And I think that's probably one of the the areas, the opportunities that we've definitely missed in the past. We focus so much on the 2 million volume travelers coming through our borders from overseas and very little on that 8 million, right? Mm -hmm. And the 8 million are already travelers coming into South Africa for whatever reason that they're traveling in, in, in and out of the country, but they are traveling in and out and therefore they are consuming goods within South Africa. They are spending money within South Africa. It's about us taking that time to understand that. Where are they staying? Where are they spending? Where is the opportunity for new tourism product? Because fine, even if someone's here as a shopper, um, there is going to be an opportunity for us to be able to capture that person's attention for a day or two while they're here and share tourism product with them. Um, And so it's obviously about um, possibly servicing this 8 million first, understanding this 8 million that is already traveling in and out of SA, and then going beyond that and actually actively targeting young, upwardly mobile Africans from various African countries to come and experience South Africa. That's definitely, I think, a missed opportunity and a lesson that we could learn from um, our neighboring countries. Mm -hmm. I think ECOWAS has done it really, really well. Um, 
sorry, not ECOWAS, ECOWAS is West Africa, hey, our East African African regional bloc. They've managed to do that really well between Uganda, Rwanda, Kenya. Travel within that region is very, very dynamic, and it's a huge opportunity for us um, within SEDEC as well. Aga, our Zulu nomad who speaks Mandarin. <laughs> pleasure to get Mand- Mandarin and French. Mandarin and French. <laughs> uh, deep, deep admiration. Deep, deep admiration. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. No, it's been a joy to get to know you, albeit virtually uh, <laughs> and not in the same room. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much. For oh, no. Thank you so much for having me, Natalia. This has been so much fun. Thank you. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Paga Tlazo, our Zulu nomad who speaks Mandarin. It was a pleasure to get a window on your world. Thanks for helping us unlock Africa.